is good news because we don't have Gary Gnu's. <laughs> Did you have Gary Gnu? No news is good news without Gary Gnu's. Okay. Gary Gnu, the news anchor. Is a real person? Yeah, it was on, uh, what was it on? The Great Space Coaster. I don't think he had the Great Space Coaster. It's the Great Space Coaster. I don't know how was, he a, was he a Gnu? He was a Gnu. Okay. Yeah. I, I was asking if it was like a real news anchor called Gary Gnu. No, it's an actual, well, like <laughs> a pu- like, puppet version. Yeah, yeah, totally. He was on this show. <laughs> yeah, but was he actual news anchor? Yeah, news anchor. Yeah, Gary Gnu. Was he a Gnu? Yes. Okay, I have my answer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You missed out. <laughs> okay, introduce us. All right. No okay. self-sabotage. No, I'm not. Listen all, y'all. <clears throat> Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I am joined today, and really as always, but today, on our one-year anniversary of the podcast. Jason, oh, and I'm joined with Jason Johnson, Neal, my friend, my business partner, blah, blah, blah. But great friend. Great friend. Did you think we would make it to to a full year? I, I did. I didn't know if we would have an audience. Oh. But I figured you and I would continue meeting and recording them. But I'll be honest with you, Joshua. Mm-hmm. I did not think beyond one year. Did you think beyond one week? Yeah, like like somewhere in the ether. I figured we would have a year of episodes. Okay. I, again, not that I figured anybody would be listening to those episodes. But I, I figured we would have a year of episodes, but I hadn't thought about the first month of year two. Like that just seemed a million miles away. And now I'm excited for year two. Right. Yeah. You and I, I think we talked about this while we were going up and down uh, the roads of Scotland, up and down the Mull of Kintyre or the Kintyre Peninsula, I should say. Mm. Well, that is the Mull. So a mole is a peninsula, a peninsula yeah, no, is a nobody, mole. Nobody in Scotland calls it the Kintyre Peninsula. Everybody calls it the Mull of Kintyre. So what do you call the Isle of Mull? The Isle of Mull. Okay, so while we were going up and down the Mull of Kintyre. Mull of Kintyre. <laughs> do you know the song? I don't. Oh, yes. What is it? Eric. Paul McCartney and Wings, Mull of Kintyre. Oh, wow. We found a gaping hole in Joshua's music knowledge. Oh, gosh. I'm I'm so glad that you finished with Joshua's music knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll have to... So it was Wings? Uh, Paul McCartney and Wings. Yeah. I think that's where it is. I, I was never a Wings fan. The McCartney. She was long before her sausage days. She uh, she knew her way around a song. She knew her way around sausage as well. I love sausage. Vegetarian sausage. Sausage. I love her sausages. Okay, you've derailed me, so I want to get back on the rails. As as we were going, oh Jesus Christ! Can I get in? Can I begin? 
please let me begin. We had discussed. Don't speak when I'm interrupting you. <laughs> you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. So, <laughs> yeah. are we ready to jump into the first question, Joshua? I think we are. I think we are. We 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 received a lot more than we had expected. Maybe not more than we expected, but we. I would we say we got more than we expected. You wouldn't say that. I would. You would. Yeah. Well, let's just say this is we, not going to help us get caught up at all. <laughs> we threw a challenge out there, challenge, <laughs> and people arose to that challenge. They did. They did magnificently. Yeah, so, so why don't you go ahead? You you start us off. I'm really curious as to who you're going to start us off with, too. Okay, so coming into the questions at One Nation Under Whiskey email address, mm-hmm. we have Jay Salani. And Jay really caught my... No. I think it's Salani. No. That that would sound much more American. I will concede that point. Salani. Sal- yeah. Salani. If there were two ends, it'd be Salani. Who, whoever would have thought that we really needed people to include pronunciations of their names when they sent in their emails? <laughs> um, but here's what All caught right, my ahead. here's what caught my eye. Hi, Jason and Joshua. I think that's oh. a, that's a magnificent opening. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst opening. Straight to my heart. Jay, you done wrong. <laughs> uh, Jay writes, I can't decide which I love more. The podcast or my bottles of Craig Ellicky nine-year-old and Milton Duff nine-year-old. Keep up the great work. We will try. I have a litany of questions regarding non-age statement whiskeys. Are you ready? I'm counting the question marks. One, two, three, four. Four question marks. Wow. Okay. What are the reasons behind the proliferation of non-age statement expressions? Mm -hmm. Should we expect this trend to continue? Mm-hmm. Are we being hoodwinked in some cases? Mm. And finally, what are some of your favorites? Wow. Personally, says Jay, I love the Ardbegs, especially Ugadal. Beautiful. And then a cheers at the end. Cheers to you, Jay. Thanks for the question. Okay, let's start at the beginning. What are the yeah. reasons behind the proliferation of non-age statement expressions? <laughs> Well, I, it, how should I say this poorly? I, I know I asked that question all the time. How should I say this poorly? <laughs> I could get that in, a t-shirt at end, this point. In the end, we've reached a situation in the industry where the popularity of single malt has grown uh, exponentially, really starting with 2006. That's when it started. 2008, it really ramped up. And then it kept going. Yeah. And back in those early aughts, we we had the luxury of plenty of good age stock. Or even, you know, back to your your thing with Art Beg, Jay, they had a 17-year-old. There was a a 30-year-old that they had. You know, they had some various vintages, 77, 78, 75, I think, etc. But when a particular drink grows in popularity like scotch whiskey has you're typically running out of old age stock right exactly and and but 
but you're still producing, right? The popularity says, okay, we need to be producing more whiskey. So they're producing a good amount of, of newer spirit and, and new whiskey. And so as not to touch too much of that older stock, they're using some of the old and some of the new and marrying it together to create this NAS. Well, the thing to remember is you've yeah. got an industry that's always producing for the future. And so it's mm. not producing for current demand. It's always producing for what might happen later. So just might, might exactly. is the operative word. And right? so as you just rightly said, in those early aughts, we had great stock that had been laid down in the 80s. And what was so great about the 80s? Nobody was buying whiskey and distilleries were closing down. <laughs> and so yeah. whiskey had a chance to mature. <laughs> um, and I'm only saying that in a very selfish, somewhat facetious way. Um, we had old whiskey mm. because people hadn't been drinking it two decades earlier. Now, as you rightly say, when the industry starts to see that demand, they go into hyper-production. We know many, many distilleries that started running their stills 24 hours a day, seven days a week, who maybe used to be on a five-day mm. schedule, right? And and so there's a lot of new spirit being pumped into wood. What then happens mm -hmm. to get or to meet that demand, you start putting younger juice into a bottle. If you're a whiskey producer, you can't necessarily wait eight years. Who knows what the boom will be doing in eight years? or 12 years, or 15 years, or 21 years. So you get it into your bottle as yeah. quick as you can. That's why we're seeing the proliferation of non-age statement expressions, is there's a desire on the whiskey side to get juice into bottles, and there's demand on the consumer side to purchase said bottles. Yeah, and... <laughs> And we, I think we discussed this in in last episode a little bit. Some may say, well, if you're running out of that older <laughs> stock, if you're running out of the 18-year-old, why not just make more 18-year-old? Well, uh, the fact of the matter is these distilleries are doing just that, but they have to wait. You know, you may have noticed there are some distilleries that have stopped production on certain items, like Glendronach 15. They had a good amount of that stock in their warehouse, and but people started drinking it. They started drinking so much that the 15-year-old became older and older and older. And then they got to the point where they said, okay, we've got to stop doing this. We're continuing to produce whiskey that can go into younger stuff, but we're also producing whiskey that we're going to hold on to until we can relaunch an age statement. And it may not come back as a 15-year-old. We may say we may see a, a Glendrona 14 or 16-year-old or something like that, but it's always that waiting game. And while the distilleries wait, they Correct. still need to make money. And so therefore they're they're putting out non-age statement whiskeys and well, I don't know if I should say this or wait for the question, but but I think these distilleries are are forced to come up with a new product that they may not have ever done before. Oh, for sure. Right? Where they're, where they're going to mix some of their six-year-old with some of their 12-year-old or something like that. And you, in my opinion, so long as it's priced well, you could have some really interesting non-age statements that are giving you flavors you'd never get 
from their standard 12, 15, 18, 25-year-old. And it could potentially be a little yeah. more interesting. And, and that's, it, you actually led me in perfectly here where the, the second part of the question from Jay, should we expect this trend to continue? I think you just hit the nail on the head. Yes, we should. Because yeah. distilleries, yeah. A, if we're going to be a little bit pessimistic about this, if you're a distillery and you can mm-hmm. get the same bottle price for your younger stock than you did for your slightly older stock, why would you not continue to put that into a bottle, right? Whiskey industry is about making mm-hmm. money. Non-age statements make money. Um, but to then be slightly more optimistic, I think there are some decent whiskies coming out that are NAS. And I would almost hate for them to go away. What I would like to see is an entry-level priced mm-hmm. non-age statement that is then backed up with some mature stock, some age statement releases, so that I could get the feeling that non-age statement had a place in the line, but it's not all there is to that distillery's portfolio. Yeah, you know, I think Glenn Murray is doing a good job with that just now. In fact, they they revamped their entire line which has five different NAS, right? That's their Glen Murray Classic series. But then they have their 12-year-old, their 15-year-old, and their 18-year-old. And so they're offering two different choices. NAS at a really good price point, and then, well, if I'm being honest, the, the 12, 15, and 18, I think, are at pretty good price points as well. But they're able to offer something that some distilleries aren't. And I think distilleries will catch up as they're sitting on their age stock. You know, come two years from now, this question may be an obsolete question. I I don't think so either. I don't think so. I think there will always be NAS. But I, I think we should start seeing more and more age statements pop up. It's going to be well, slow, and, and but it's going to be honest, come through. I want to say we've always, but I, I would say at least for the last couple of decades, we've already had non-age statement, right? I, I think about the Majors Reserve from Glenn Grant, which I like I like a whole lot. Yeah. And, and even though it's coming in at 40, 43% alcohol, I think it shows what Glenn Grant mm. does well at those younger ages. And so it's not necessarily that non-age statement releases are a new thing. Maybe the proliferation of them is is more striking to the consumer. Yeah. We're also having this conversation in America where there was major focus in America to have consumers attach themselves to numbers. And it was always known that the American consumer was in search of a 12-year-old, a 15-year-old, an 18-year-old. And so I think non-age yeah. statement releases might be slightly more jarring or slightly more obvious to American consumers because they haven't necessarily been led down that path. Well, th- think of Chivas, who had their whole campaign of age yep. matters. That was a pretty powerful yep. campaign. And and you're right. We as consumers in the U.S. have been trained for, for decades. Age does mean something, you know. We talked about this much earlier on. I had um, uh, an uncle who, not an uncle, sorry, a cousin whose father-in-law passed away. And I got some of 
you know, some of this whiskey that that father-in-law has been sitting on for a while and these old blends from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And the vast majority of them have some sort of an age. And these were always gifts, right? These were, you know, try this ambassador 25-year-old, you know, whatever it is. And there was a, there's always been this prestige mm-hmm. yeah. around age. And it wasn't so focused on flavor as it was more on age yeah. because those were gifts. What I like about NAS is there is a bit of a folk, there is more of a focus on flavor nowadays because they realize there's a bit of a hurdle, right? You're, you're sorry, you're putting a product out there that has no age whatsoever, but it has to be pretty damn good. And so we have to have flavor lead the way rather than a number lead the way to help move that product off a shelf. But I also think it's that attachment to age that leads to Jay's other question here, which is, are we being hoodwinked in some cases? I, I think when you have educated the consumer to look for numbers and then the industry seemingly pulls the rug out from under said consumer, I think the consumer is right to question whether everything is is on the level and above board here. I think part of the the hoodwinked question comes from how young is the youngest whiskey in a non-age statement release? But but in the end, does does that matter so much? It It does, depending how much you're paying for it. Oh, right. And so that's the point I wanted to get to, right? So if if you are using, say, Macker, Kilhoman Macker Bay, right? Which nowadays is around seven, eight years old, somewhere around there. Yep. And you're paying $55 a bottle. Correct. By comparison, are there other non-age statements in that age range? And I'm sorry, are there other non-age statements in that price range? The answer is yes. Does Kilhoman hide the fact that it's seven, eight years old? No, they don't. They'll tell you off the bat if you ask them. I think the question comes, and this is not to dig on Brooklady, but compare Macker Bay to Octomore, right? Where you've got a five-year-old Octomore product that's $280. Now, some people would say, yeah, but I don't care. That's Octomore, and it's the <laughs> peediest thing in the world. I'm going to pay that. Yeah. Uh, is is Brooklady trying to hoodwink their consumers? I don't think they are. I you know I think there's the Octomore in and of itself is a very low production product. There's so little of it to go around. I guess I'm taking a long time to say I I don't think, and this could be a bit Pollyanna of me, but I don't think that many distilleries are actively looking to hoodwink their consumers with NAS. But I could be wrong there. But I also think we need to detach distilleries from marketing departments and sales departments. Oh, that's a good point. That's that's a good point. Because I think when we have conversations with distillery managers, they're focused on best product. Mm -hmm. When those distillery managers have conversation with sales and marketing, Sales and marketing need something they can sell, a story they can tell. And I think that's maybe where the consumer starts to feel some of the unease. Yes. 
where it's kind of like, is this the best product that could go into this bottle at this price? If you have to turn your bottle around to read the marketing story on the back, there's a chance somebody didn't pay as much attention to the juice in the bottle as they maybe should have. Yeah, no, I I, th- I think that's a fair point. And, and this is the difficult thing about marketing departments for big companies is for the most part, they're, they're not whiskey people. Right? Oh, yeah. They're, oh, we know right? that, they're, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're people who are marketers. Yeah, right? I don't feel T- bad take, about saying that, yeah. Take uh, take Jane Walker that's going to be coming out sometime soon. A blend made for women. Oh, gosh. Johnny Walker's wife or girlfriend, Jane Walker. You could put you could lump that in with the new Doritos for women that are coming out. <laughs> Just gonna mention that. Okay. Cool. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's there's there are stories to tell. So yeah, here, let, let's do this. So I think those are those are good answers. I know we've got one final part to get to, but I just want to recap here for, yeah. for Jay and, and everyone else listening. Yeah, so yeah. so what are the reasons behind the proliferation of non-age statement expressions? There was an increased demand. And uh, producers had to increase production to meet that demand. Well, the the fact of the matter is they wanted to continue putting out whiskey while other stuff ages to get back to age statements. Beautifully put, Joshua. Beautifully put. Beautifully stated. Boom. Uh, Should we expect this trend to continue? I think yes. You? I think yes. And... Um, this, this is just me. I would love to see a little more transparency in that NAS, but I think it's tied to a marketing departments, B the Scotch whiskey association, not wanting to allow producers to say, Hey, there's three-year-old stuff and 37 year old stuff in there. And that's, that's my response to the third question. Are we being hoodwinked in some cases? I don't think we're being hoodwinked. Could we have greater transparency? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the fourth question? And finally, what are some of your favorites? Uh, you already said one of mine, Macker Bay. I think Macker Bay is an absolutely cracking non-age statement Isla whiskey. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's that's a solid one. Uh, Ardbeg Corvrecken is absolutely is a big one for me. I really like all the spice coming from that from that new French oak. I think it's great. Uh, um, I dropped in Glen Grant Majors Reserve which I think is oh, a, a yeah. cheapest chips Glen Grant with a screw cap that is well worth exploring. Don't expect fireworks. Expect something really tasty. Uh, slightly younger, lower ABV. Great, great spring and summer whiskey. But yeah, you know, there, there's a difference between being a great whiskey and being a great drinker. And I think your example of the Majors Reserve is an example of a great drinker. Uh, I would add in the Abelauer Abunad. 100%, mate. 100%. That's a great call. Yep. Right? Great call. Uh, I, I I always have at least one batch on my shelf, and I think it's fantastic. I'd, I'd throw Tam Dew. I'd lump Tam Dew right in we could put in that. the award-winning Tam Dew on that one. <laughs> right, yeah. And um, then I'll say one from yesteryear that I'm very sad it's not around anymore, and it was just a limited NES release, but it comes from a distillery that's becoming very well known for their NES releases, Highland Park Hyarta. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. a phenomenal Highland Park with no age statement anywhere near it. Um, 
So, okay, that's, let's get out on that uh, for that question. That was a, that was okay. a great yep, start from Jay. Thank you. Thank you. You, sir, have been patrolling social media. Uh, do we have a question from the social medias? <laughs> Tell you, that makes me sound like a creep. From your world. <laughs> You've been patrolling. <laughs> From your lips to whatever that happens to go. <laughs> yeah, so I have been looking at our messages coming in through facebook.com slash One Nation Under Whiskey. And this whiskey without an E, of course. Jason, what do you... Oh, I see what you're doing. Before I get to this question, do you have uh, do you have something in your glass? I'm, I'm pouring it right now. Come back to me after this question. Okay. Because I just finished my first dram, and it's I selected three different whiskeys that that wanted. I selected three different whiskeys that I wanted to enjoy while we're celebrating the closing of our first year of our podcast. Cheers to that! And yeah, I've, uh, I've got something very yeah. special going in here. Uh, just for the listeners, I had just been sipping on the as yet unreleased, unannounced Whiskey Jubilee Seattle bottling. Yeah. Oh, man, it's cracking stuff. But more on that another day. Yeah. So we received a question from Shane Holden, who's way up in uh, Kanukistan. Oh, right. Okay. Welcome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for Canadian, listening. So <laughs> Can I, uh... Shane's been listening early on. I think, if I remember correctly... One of the first people to reach out to us was Shane. Oh, okay. And he's been reaching out to us every now and again, which has been nice. Cheers. Thanks, Shane. So Shane says, riddle me this. Yes. How is it that only your online releases make it to Canada? <laughs> However. <laughs> oh, it's about us. Okay. Um, uh, pun the brakes yeah, on this yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we can, we can talk about this. <laughs> However, they're sold in retail once here. So. It's your online stuff yeah. that's sold online in the U.S., yeah. but it's sold in retail in Canada. And he continues. He says, I'll take what I can get, of course, but I'm still interested. Thanks again for the outstanding content, guys. And then he says, this is for the Inbox Mailbox podcast. Awesome. Which, yeah, so perfect. <laughs> so this, we're going to talk a, a bit about how the sausage is made, we right? Or where we put the sausage. The the Linda McCartney veggie sausage. Where do you like to lay your sausage down? Uh, on my pillow. All right. That's weird. All right. <laughs> I didn't tell you where the pillow is. Just said on my pillow. Always the penis with you. hey Hey, it's back. Guess who's back? It was never back away. again. Um, so, do you want to tackle this one, Jason? Yeah, I'm I'm just going to jump in with two feet. If if the reason you and I started this podcast was to have transparency in industry and single cast nation, I'm just going to tell Shane exactly how it is. There's there's no secrets here. So, when we first expanded uh, into Canada two years two years ago three years ago Joshua just broke a bottle over the ship hull <laughs> there sorry about that yeah uh, I'd say two two years ago maybe three probably I two I think it's probably three um we had the same stock that we had online in the United States. The hope was that we might be able to do some kind of shipment across Canada. You know as well as anybody, Shane, that that is impossibly difficult. And so we took the same online stock and we made it available in retail stores. It was a great way to build membership. Uh, the idea was people would walk in with a membership card and, and purchase it off of a shelf. 
as we continued to build Canada, it was just it was just tricky. It was always tricky to keep doing that. And so we just made it easy for everybody. We made it a retail acquisition, knowing that we were about to launch retail in the United States. Uh, as you rightly point out, they are different bottlings that go into the two places. And we, in 2018, will be closing the loop on on Canada and how we do business in Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't yet signed all the contracts on that one. We haven't informed everybody who's in the loop about that one. But in 2018, you will see Canada make more sense. How does that sound, Joshua? No, I th- I think that's perfect. You can attest that is that's one hundred percent single cast nation truth right there. Yeah, it's all we had to play with at the time was online bottlings, and we would share it with Canada, and Canada would put it on the retail shelves. You'd you'd buy your membership to gain access, and and what we found was bottles would move, and memberships would sell when we were there. And so we said, let's take that speed bump out of the way and, and, it was also, and just sell them. It was also increased rate. policing, right? You're tracking yeah. memberships in another country. Um, you yeah. know, people were paying for memberships in Canada. We then went on to um, non-paid, simply email memberships in the United States. Canada then moved on to that one. It's Correct. Yeah, it was... We were just trying to do the best we could, and and it just proved to be slightly more tricky than we'd envisioned. But in 2018, we're cracking the nut. There is no doubt about that. You're going to be really happy with what you see mm. in Canada, Shane. Uh, we're we're really happy with the solution we've got coming in this year, and more on a future episode. Yeah. Is cracking a nut like busting a nut? No, 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 no. You Americans are they? I tell they're you. two different things. I tell you, I want to know who gave who gave the English language to Americans because you have not treated it well. <laughs> did, did you know trivia? Did you know that we were? I think it was one, maybe two votes away to German being the national language of the U.S. Now this dates back to uh, America's founding. Did you know this? I did yeah. not. My German wife um, told me that. Oh, lovely. Um, we've got a we've got a couple of emails from Dan Grison in the questions account. Oh yeah, good guy. Yep. Uh, one, one of them's a tremendous observation, and so we'll we'll swing back to that once we uh, once we follow up. It was a wonderful observation about influencers on Instagram, and we've talked about doing a full episode on oh, that. Right. And so we'll we'll have Dan Grison come come back in on that one. Okay. Nice. Uh, but yeah, he's got another uh, question here for the mailbag episode. So the the subject is what makes a single malt a single malt. Hello, gentlemen. Been a fan of American whiskey for many years, bourbon and rye, and have had a side interest in single malt along the way. I've really started to branch out more into single malt and have found your podcast to be extremely informative. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, there's more. Oh, my God. I thought that was the end of the kudos. Uh, I found your podcast to be extremely informative, interesting, and most importantly, fun. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's nice. That's very nice. As I'm catching up on past episodes, I'm also finding them very expensive. <laughs> uh, as I usually try to pick up something you may have discussed. Oh, After that's listen- nice. That's very that's, cool. Yeah, that's really cool. After listening to your episode with Matt Hoffman, <laughs> he says, I spelt it right. H-O-F-M-A-N-N. Yeah, one F, two N's. 
I had to pick up some Westland. So living in Chicago, I picked up a Binnie's Pick Cask 710. Oh, speaking of Chicago, Dan, um, <laughs> I'm going to be at the Binnie's World of Whiskey event in a couple months. And please come by and, and say hello when you're there. Take it Um So is that the end of it? or are you? Oh, no. Oh, wow. He's got more. So on to my question. And forgive me <laughs> if this has been answered in yeah. a previous episode. I still have about 15 to catch up on. Wow. Okay. Hopefully Dan's had a good couple of months and he's got through a bunch of those. Anyway, I noticed it has a five malt grain bill. So how is it a single malt if it has five? Awesome. Please educate a humble listener who is feeling like a sponge absorbing all this knowledge. And then have a great holiday season. Wish you all the best in 2018. Thank you. Cheers, Dan Grison. That's a cracker. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for taking the time to, to put fingers to keyboard and send that in. That is wonderful. And so, yeah, this is a classic question. How can Westland be a single malt if it has a five malt mash bill? Take it away, Joshua Hatton. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad you said that. Let's start out with... First, I'm going to start off with a very simple term. Are you backing it up? I'm going to back it up. But then I'm going to show you how it applies to Westland. And I'm going to show you, before I show you how it applies to Westland, I'm going to show you how really not simple the term is. Because it's not. Uh, and actually, I want to thank um, Sam Simmons of the Balvenny or William Grant for this. Because he taught me this. I want to say back in 2006, 2007. So right around the time he started with William Grant, I had him over to our synagogue because uh, he lives in New York or he lived in New York. And we had him over to our synagogue to taste at what was once called the Jewish Single Malt Whiskey Society, which has now been disbanded by law. Um, (laughs) and has nothing to do with the current administration i was just gonna Um, say (laughs) pre-trump law (laughs) so i knew at the time what single malt scotch whiskey meant but i never knew quite how to explain it to others and so he, he did a very interesting thing. He grabbed his bottle of the Balvenie, and I want to say it was the um, the twenty one year old Portwood, which is which is continues to be one of my favorites. Portwood and done right. Out the term. Portwood done right. Yeah, without a doubt. Single malt Scotch whiskey said the only way to understand this simple term is to read it backwards. Okay, how does one do that? He says, okay, single malt scotch whiskey. So what's whiskey? Whiskey is a spirit made from a grain. Perfect. Easy, understandable. Scotch means it was produced in Scotland. Distilled, matured, and bottled in Scotland. That's scotch. Malt refers to the grain, right? Because whiskey is a spirit made from a grain. Malt means it's malted barley. Right? Okay. Simple. Single is the one that always trips people up and continues to trip people up. A lot of people would say, well, single, so that's made from one batch. Is it like one distillation the one time they did it? Like, no. Okay, so it's made from just the one grain, the one type of malted barley, right? And this is how we'll connect it. Oh, to I know the where you're going. One. Don't you worry. Nope, I know that's where not you're it. Going. 
And, uh, and the answer was, nope, single refers to it was malt scotch whiskey produced at a single distillery. So if we're going to take, let's take Kilhoman, for instance. Um, if you'd have three-year-old Kilhoman malt whiskey and marry it with 12-year-old Kilhoman malt whiskey, it's still a single malt because it's malt whiskey produced at a single distillery and in Scotland, right? So it checks out. That makes I'm sense, right, so Jason? Did I? Yep. So now we're going to take that uh, example and we're going to extend it to Westland. And the reason why we can call Westland single malt whiskey is even though there's a five grain mash bill, that's five different types of barley. Correct. The, right, Washington Pale. What's that? It's the barley that ties all this together. It's it's the barley that ties it all together. So they're using different types of malt to allow for different types of flavor. They use the chocolate malt to get that rich chocolatey flavor. They use the peated Scottish barley to get the smokiness, and Washington Pale malt to get some of that fruitiness, and 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 it goes on. But in the end, it's whiskey made from a single type of grain and that's malted barley and the interesting thing about malted barley is that there's so many different types and different ways in which you can roast it too uh to create various flavors so yeah i've, uh, I've so always said go. with our westland two-year-old that's the five malt yeah. mash bill put into new oak, oh the, yeah i've mm-hmm. always said that's a whiskey for beer drinkers because they really do explore the Lovibond scale. And so you have the light malting, you have the heavy malting, you have those rich, dark, toasty flavors, you have those lighter, brighter flavors. And I think anybody who does any kind of home brewing is very familiar with the different ways barley will play a role in your flavor. And I think Westland is exploring that beautifully. And to then have a Belgian brewer's yeast oh. in their fermentation. Right, yeah. that's somebody who clearly understands uh, brewing techniques. Can you explain quickly the lava bond scale? So it's just your your color on your barley. So the longer you malt it, the darker it gets. So a the light, longer you malt it, or the longer you roast it, the longer you roast it. I'm sorry. Um, and so yeah, so your your lighter Munichs are a light roasting. Your chocolate malts are a longer roasting, and get those deep dark flavors on it. all those dark chocolate notes come from your dark so your dark nice. end of the lovey bond scale so the lovey bond is just the measurement that's all nice okay cool okay cool there you go mm-hmm. uh, dan thanks for the question yeah cheers man we received uh what i thought was an interesting question on twitter from our friend natalie okay do you want to know what's in my glass before we get to the question from our friend natalie fuck yeah <laughs> Um, do you remember when we were in Scotland at the uh, end of July and we toured around with a little, we had a few little oh. bottles in our back pocket? Do you have what I think you have? I don't um, think you have what I think you have. I'm not sure. This was distilled in 1992. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, yep, it's not, it's not my original thought. Okay. It's from a northern island that is uh, not Highland Park. Scapa. Oh, you've got that Scapa distillery only release. Yeah, fifty-eight point four percent from a sherry butt. It is amazing. And how did you get that bottle, you bastard? Because <laughs> I did this. 
<laughs> oh, you, you sampled it. Okay. <laughs> I have a little 50 mil <laughs> bottle here and it's so good. Yeah. I looked at it. Scotch whiskey auctions. It's uh, if you get lucky, it's 260 pounds. Um, so yeah, wow. <laughs> it's cracking scaffold. So and it's an OB. It was put out by Shivas. Yeah. No, it. Oh God, I keep dropping my phone. Um, Scapa is such an overlooked distillery. I fell in love with their 16-year-old years ago. So sad that it's gone. Even at 40% alcohol, uh, chill filtered, <laughs> caramel coloring added, the whole thing. Uh, it was a fantastic whiskey. And I've had few, if any, Scapas. I take that back. I haven't had a single Scapa I haven't liked. You should have drunk. Uh, you should have been drinking Scapa in the nineties. Stuff they were oh, was it putting bad? out was terrible. Yeah, it's one of my original yeah. three that I avoided: Scapa, Glen Scotia, Jura. Oh, that's yeah. right. And I'm so, and I very happily drink two of those three now. And there is one Jura <laughs> that I fell in love with, and uh, to this day it remains one. Oh yeah, same here. Was it the nineteen seventy six or seventy eight? Uh, 200th anniversary in uh, uh, Pedro. Oh, yeah, uh, I've had that. It's okay. The, the Gonzalez Bias. No, not Pedro yeah, Top, yeah, Gonzalez Bias. Cracking, real cracking. Do you know what's in my glass? I don't <laughs> Fresh air, because you finished it? No, I said I poured more in. Okay. I don't know. I've literally no idea. Just tell me. It was distilled in 1991. <laughs> oh, look at that. We're one year apart on what we're drinking. Okay. Bottled in 2007. Okay. It is one of my top three distilleries. Okay. And you purchased this for me. (laughs) 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 And maybe, can you tell by the color Uh, what it might be? Is it it Clinlish? No, you you purchased, this was perhaps the first bottle you ever purchased for me. Okay. And I've been savoring it that long. Okay, 91 to 2000. I actively seek out yeah, bottlings for this distillery. I bought you an Imperial? You Damn, did. I'm a good friend. A great friend, <laughs> some might say. Great friend. It's the, uh, the Portwood oh, finished yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Gordon yeah, McPhail. I bought that off Jared Card. We got so drunk off this, you fell asleep at, at your table. Really? Do you I remember don't... that? At my table? You got pissed drunk. Yeah, at your table. Which? At your house. It, it was Thanksgiving <laughs> 2013. <laughs> to, to my great credit, there was a lot of beer and a lot of whiskeys before we got drunk <laughs> on one bottle. <laughs> Did I pour that here? Is that why I don't have any on my shelf? I, what, I yeah, wondered what happened be. to my bottle of that. Huh. Yeah, because you would, you would purchase two, yeah. one for you, one for me. Yeah, so I, I raise my glass A to you, <laughs> B to the Urquhart family, C to uh, to Joe Swanson, who is uh, one of the U.S. guys for Gordon McPhail, super nice guy. He lives here in the Northeast. And D to a good friend who is no longer with Gordon McPhail, but is now with Westland, and that's Chris Respeck. <laughs> Cheers to all of the above. <laughs> Okay, so Jink. So we received can can I talk yeah. about Natalie now? Yes, please. Please, please, please. Yeah. Okay, so we received a question from Natalie and 
Via Twitter, you said. Uh, I don't. Was that via Twitter? You said via 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 the Twitter machine. Uh-huh. And oh, this is funny. So she's changed her Ooh. the title. So now her name is Blue Gay Carmen San Diego. Oh, nice. I like it. Oh, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Oh, I like that. Okay. And she has blue hair. So there you go. So the question is, y'all talked a lot about whiskey books versus blogs versus Instagrams. But I'm also curious about YouTube. Where does video sit into contemporary whiskey discourse? That's a very good question. Yeah, I don't have a very good answer. (laughs) Oh, well, why change, right? (laughs) See, this is how abusive relationships work. All those wonderful comments that made me feel great about myself and our friendship. And then you just cut it away at the knees. Boom. Okay. Um, yeah, what's the truth of the matter? Um, <laughs> we had the distinct honor and pleasure of being interviewed by Scotch Test Dummies on the YouTubes. Yeah, yep. And it went out live, mm-hmm. and then the recording was made available. I loved the experience. I now watch them religiously. They're doing they're doing good work. Yeah, and I never watched them live. Timing wise, it never works out, but I, I do catch up on on the episodes afterward, which has been great. I like the idea of it going out live, though. That's a that's a fun that's little very interesting. wrinkle. I, I dig it that you can tune in at a certain time on a Sunday night and and participate. That's and then we took questions from people who were listening. I, I thought that was I thought it was a really uh, well done mm-hmm. uh, well done vodcast vod. Mm. Cast. Yeah, video on demand. Yeah. Well, is it on demand? Because it's live. Um, so, yeah. So, un- unfortunately, other than that, I know that many people love Ralphie on YouTube. And I, I know that a lot of people have come to Single Cast Nation yeah. because of the-, the passion and enthusiasm that they've experienced with Ralphie. Just talking about whiskey, mm-hmm. talking about independent bottlers. So, you know, I, I feel like he was he was a man who blazed a trail on the YouTube machine. So so kudos to him for that. Um, other than that, honestly, I, I don't watch uh, whiskey on YouTube. Do you? I, I don't. I, I don't watch a lot on YouTube. There was a time where I watched YouTube quite a lot, but it that's in its very early days. And this is me showing you how much of an old man I am. Uh, where YouTube was <laughs> was a way for me to find old concert footage of Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart and Iggy Pop and you know whatever there was just oh, yeah. it was a good outlet yeah. for all these old concert videos and now it's become its own animal yeah and I I just I don't have time to go down that YouTube hole and I consume my whiskey information just in a different way. But, but I think given the audience that Scotch test tummies has, I think it's just touching, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg as to what can be done through, through YouTube. And like you said, I, I like that you can have this live experience where in the end, Whiskey is most special when it's enjoy when it's enjoyed live with other people, mm-hmm. and and that's what whiskey is all about. And having a conversation about it. And so I really appreciate 
what they're doing and what others like them are doing, my life just runs in such a way where I can't enjoy it as much as I yeah, want to. I would certainly say to our listeners, if there's a YouTube channel that you follow, please drop us a note. Yeah. Uh, let us know. We're always happy to, to check out new things. And just like, and you know, yeah, just like Dan had said a moment ago, from listening to the episodes, he goes and explores whiskey recommendations. Um, from our listeners, more than happy to to hear what else are they experiencing. We'd love to check that out. And something that we'll do for our website too, if there's, you know, if there's a, a YouTube channel, a blog, uh, an Instagrammer that you really like, I, I was I've been thinking about putting some sort of a link list up on our page that is more community based what our what our listeners enjoy looking at so we may put it up on that there makes, we'll, makes we'll, good we'll sense. see what happens makes good sense so yeah. so thanks to natalie for for tweeting us in twatterton i, I appreciate that <laughs> um i've got another chicago guy here tim gullicksrud uh he's been a, a good oh, supporter good of ours we've seen him at the jubilee a, a fair few times um he sends in four very detailed questions. Oof. Um, a lot. And so Can we do all four? We can't, uh, just because they're too detailed. But I'm going to, I've selected two of them to focus okay. on. Um, it's a shame because the other two are cracking. I, I would love to cover them, but um, but not today, I'm afraid. Denied. So uh, I'm going to pick up his third and fourth questions. Okay. Let's see if there's preamble here. Joshua and Jason. You got the opening wrong, but that's okay. No, no. Checks out Joshua and Jason. You've been asking for questions, so I'm happy to oblige. There you that's go. Man. There he is. And then he jumps in with two feet. So here we go. Uh, so question three and four. Question three. How does the process of launching an online bottle compare logistically to launching one as part of the retail line? Is one harder than the other? How do you decide if a bottle gets released online or in retail hmm. stores? Let, let me answer the, the last part of the question first, and then I'll let you talk logistics, because you handle a lot of logistics for Single Cast Nation. Um, yeah. How do you decide if a bottle gets released online or in retail stores? We are now talking about online as a special projects division. So yes. with yep, yep, yep. some of the special relationships that we've got, for example, Wild Turkey, uh, we are really focused on putting interesting, unique, single cast of Wild Turkey into special projects division. We also just sampled a Tam Du that was uh, aged in a Koval cask, finished in a Koval rye yeah, Koval cask. Koval rye, yeah. If we... Quarter cask, right? Of Koval Rye quarter cask. If we put that into retail, it doesn't get to tell its full story. If we keep that for online special projects division, we get to continue with the full story of that. So so really something, and I know that um, I know that a lot of people, myself including, uh, included, don't really like the use of the word unique. <laughs> but I would say when we're when we're presented with very interesting, very different, some might say mm. unique casks of whiskey, the first thing we ask is, does this work for special projects division? Can we put it online? Can we take charge of that story? When it then comes to the retail line, mm -hmm. like any other independent bottler, we want to tell our story. We want our fans, consumers, followers 
to know that if they pick up a single Cast Nation bottle in retail, they can have an idea of what to expect. And so it's going to be mouth mouthfeel yeah. is always going to be present in a retail bottling. Um, there's going to be a story attached to the distillery as we put it into retail. And then most importantly, given what I just said about special projects division, we want a retail bottling to be able to clearly tell its own story without either us in the room or us expanding it online. It's it's a one that you take home, you go, I got the latest single cast nation. Dan had mentioned it earlier with a Milton Duff nine-year-old. Yeah. If you if you take that Milton Duff nine-year-old home, you open up the latest single cast nation, you pour that, you go, this is a good representation of single cast nation. And it's a cracking Milton Duff. That's what we're looking for in retail line. Yeah, no, I I, I think that that... Jason, you done good. That's it. From See, a logistics standpoint... Oh, you, go ahead. If you just speak your truth, it all takes care of itself. Wow, look at that. That, that, that sounds like a daily affirmation. <laughs> From a logistics standpoint, yes. there, there are a few things to consider. First and foremost... You have a different label that you have to deal with, right? So if we say, okay, this is going to be online, I'm the one who does all of the all of the labels. We have two templates, one for retail, one for online. And so I've got to make all of those adjustments. If it's a retail bottling, then we actually have to have a UPC created that would go on the label. And that's just a you know, another another layer uh, when it comes to our online releases. We don't have to worry about a UPC because no one's looking to scan that bottle at checkout. It's just being, you know, delivered by the retailer, not scanned in by the retailer um, for, a, for a sale because the sale happens on our website. The other consideration, too, is to make sure that pricing is fair across the two platforms. And so we have two different pricing matrices that tell us, is this whiskey going to be worth it? You know, can we sell it whether it's online or retail? And so when we when we select a whiskey we like, we say, okay, we like that. That's good. And then the broker or the distillery says, here is the price. We put that price into our pricing matrix and look for what the final bottle price would be. And we have two different matrices, one for online, one for retail. And in the end, they're both even, but we have to... It's just two different spreadsheets. Yeah, it kind of depends on the explanation of it, right? And I think this gets to Tim's question, which is when it comes to online, as we've always said, in front of the curtain, it's Jason and Joshua. And behind the curtain is the full three-tier system. When it comes to retail, we are only one part of the three-tier system. And so we sell directly to a distributor. And so I think that speaks to why we have two different matrices, which is we're doing two different things in those two different places. That That's a very good point. In the end, the final result has to be, does that price make sense to what is potentially being bottled? If you have a 15-year-old whiskey, is it $150 or less? Because what we try to target is... $10 per year, anything over 10 years old, $10 per year or less, if we can. 
there are some situations where we may not be able to, and you know, special ILAs or something like that, where typically speaking, whether it's us selling it or someone else selling it, independently bottled Lagavulin or independently bottled Colila tends to be so that you're selling it for more than ten dollars per per year, right? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so we put it through that matrix and the importation is the same. The distribution is somewhat the same and it's this, it's, it's how you receive it, which is different. Do you purchase it online or do you purchase it from a store? And these are things that we need to consider. Uh, for a retail line, we need to figure in the cost of our cartons. <laughs> right that that go into it our retail we don't i'm sorry our our online we don't have a carton that goes with it so it's all these little things that we have to consider as we're building out our online presence as we're building out our retail presence in the end the big picture is what does our portfolio currently look like what did it look like in the past and how do we want to build it out moving forward because if we have an undisclosed ILA for retail, and then we find another great undisclosed ILA. You say, oh, you know, we, we just did that, and our distributors just got their allocation. Maybe they're not sold out of it. You know, maybe that's something we put into online, right? So we, we have to make these various considerations as we're building out both platforms. And I have to say, you have set up the perfect intro to to question mm. to question mm. four. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just, let me pat myself on the back. To, to emphasize, question four of two. Um, Tim, Tim asks, <laughs> how do you feel about the secondary market? And more specifically, mm. bourbon hounds flipping your bottles for a large profit. P.S. I appreciate that you price your bottles so that, quote unquote, guys like me can afford them. Thanks. This is this is near and dear to our hearts, and I love the fact that Tim identifies exactly what it is we're trying to achieve. We've said for the longest time, we're in the business of selling whiskey. We're not in the business of flipping bottles. We're not in the business of, of getting max bang for our buck. We're in the business, and this is why you, you set up the perfect uh, transition here. We're in the business of fairly pricing whiskey that has been made available to us so that whiskey lovers mm -hmm. who follow and support um, and advocate for single cast nation know that they're not getting the arse ripped out of a good whiskey. Mm. When yeah. it then comes yep. to the secondary market, that's beyond our control. And uh, <laughs> I think he's asking how we feel. <laughs> well, and, and I'm getting to that. that. Jason, I'm getting to you're that. not I'm so good with that. the feels. I'm getting to that. Okay. All right. Personally, <laughs> I there we go. Love there we go. That that we have. Oh. A 15-year-old single cask Heaven Hill that can be found for $3,500 on the secondary market. I, I, I love, and, and more than the money, I love the fact 
that we have seen people flip Pappy for Our Heaven Hill. <laughs> right? <Less>. Right? <laughs> I, you know, if, yes. if, if Pappy's the hottest <laughs> yeah. name in all of bourbon circles, whether it's the best or not, is a conversation for another day, but it's the hottest name. You speak to anybody who even tangentially knows about bourbon, they know about Pappy Van Winkle. So to mm-hmm. see something that mm-hmm. highly acclaimed flipped for one of our Whiskey Jubilee bottles, not just one of, but our first uh, Whiskey Jubilee bottle, I think that's amazing. That gives me a, a little bit of a rush. If we're talking about the feels, that definitely makes me happy, gives me a rush. And I will give you the flip side mm. of this. Oh. Because... Oh, okay. Right. Well, let me see if my flip side, side is. Well, your flip side you might be different from my flip you, side. You keep going. We had an episode last uh, November when somebody out mm-hmm. of state purchased two tickets to the Chicago Jubilee. Is this your flip side, yeah, or do you have a separate talk about this? It's it, 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 I, I had I had a broad brush flip side, but I love that you're using this example because it well, grinds my goddamn gears. So yeah, somebody out of state bought two tickets for Whiskey Jubilee Chicago. Emailed us after the event to let us know something had come up. This person and their partner were unable to attend. Did they still have access to the Jubilee bottling? And we, as very decent chaps who like to help people out, said, you bought two tickets, you have access to two bottles. We thought we're doing the right thing. The person got their bottles Mm -hmm. and immediately, immediately flipped them. Immediately. And flipped both of them. And... Mm -hmm. 650 each, I think. And given that we had just the previous month sold it for $101 to attendees of the festival as Tim was there. Tim, Tim got a, Tim got a bottle. Was that speaking out of school? No, the world knows Tim got a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim got a bottle for 101. Thanks us for the price that we sold that at so that we weren't ripping the arse out of it. And then some Jamoke, you know, one mm-hmm. month later flips them for 650 each. That's, that's upsetting because we didn't, sell him those bottles as a flipper. We don't sell these bottles to anybody as a flip. Uh, we sell them to be consumed and enjoyed. And um, and somebody kind of mm-hmm. broke the trust there. And that that was the, the angersome part of that. Uh, and like I say, and, and this was part of me talking you off the ledge, we can't control the secondary market. We can't police the secondary market. If people want to take our trust and take advantage of that, we can't control that. We can just continue to be good guys who try to help people out wherever we can. <laughs> you are correct. However, However the new it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's people like that we're moving forward. Exactly. Should someone exactly. actually buy Ex- tickets to the Jubilee and actually exactly. have a legitimate reason exactly. why they couldn't be there? We're no longer allowing that. You, exactly. you have to physically put your name exactly on that list. And that one person ruined it for anybody who has a serious 
issue who couldn't make it to the Jubilee. And that is incredibly frustrating. Well, and the argument is that's kind of what the secondary market is doing across whiskey. Look at the annual releases. You know, Diageo, who, you know, I don't need to be any fan of Diageo to say this, but Diageo is watching what they go for on the secondary market. Diageo mm-hmm. sees what they get immediately flipped for. And Diageo says, why are we selling this for 150 when we can sell it for 450 And then the following year, oh, that's still flipped on the secondary market. Why don't we sell it for 1200 And it's mm-hmm. still flipped on the secondary market. You know, if, if the secondary market is the measure of whiskey pricing, we are all in trouble because a select few who live in different markets from some of the key releases want to add bottles to their collection. Nothing wrong with that. But when they spend the money that they spend, it reverberates back through the industry. Yeah. Yeah. I'll add in one example, one final example. We recently bottled a cask of MGP, and this was a California exclusive. (laughs) And is 11-year-old, almost 12-year-old, and they basically got a little over 100 bottles. And our distributor there was a bit hesitant. Like, oh, do we do we want this? I don't know. In the end, it 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 sold lightning fast and they want they want more, which is which is always a nice thing. However, 2 days after that went on sale in California, a bottle and went on sale for around $130 retail, depending on the shop, between $130 to $165, with $165 being way too much. It, it really is a $125, $130 bottle. A person purchased that bottle and put it into a secondary website page, I don't want to get too specific here, for $450. And it's just 11-year-old MGP bourbon, (laughs) right? And it it was a great cask of whiskey, but the fact that it had, A, a wax top, B, it said MGP in most bourbons out there, which most of them out there are from MGP. None of them really say they're from MGP. So the fact that ours said MGP, even though we've been doing that since 2014, anyway, another story, uh, someone grabbed that and said, look at that pretty bottle, pretty label, wax top, 11 year old MGP. Let me sell this for $450. And I find that a bit disconcerting because it's a decent $125 bottle that should be opened and drunk with friends. That said, I hope that that person is okay and didn't need the $450 because maybe his washing machine busted or his furnace went or his cat was sick. <laughs> those, those sound like three very specific <laughs> examples that you brought up there, Joshua. You never people know. Are people people, um, are people. So here's a question for you from me in the mailbox episode. What if we were robber barons? And we took a good $125, $130 bottle and we put it on the market at $300. You, if people are buying secondary at $450, would retail support that at $300? Oh, yeah. Retail shops, you cannot go to a retail shop 
I shouldn't say you cannot, but it's few and far between where you can go to a retail shop and find a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle 15-year-old for the $79 it should be sold at. Most retail shops are seeing what they're what the secondary market is doing, and they're selling that 15-year-old for a thousand bucks, selling for twelve hundred, what have you. The the days in which attainable the days in which whiskey allocated whiskey at a, at an attainable price, they're gone. They're long gone. Even to the point where Elmer T. Lee, which is just in my opinion, it's a good run-of-the-mill bourbon. It's just a good solid drinker. Those are going for ridiculous prices. They should be a $35 bottle, and I've seen them go on the secondary market for more than $200. And it's just a $35 bottle of bourbon. But I'm specifically saying if we were robber barons, okay. could we have put that 11-year-old MGP into retail at $300 a bottle? And sold it. We could easily have. Wow, such restraint. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you another example. I'm going to give you another, and we need to move to the next question, but let me give you one last example. Okay. We recently selected a cask of whiskey from a producer. I'm not going to give any names here. That for a six-year-old, we would have had to have charged just about $300 a bottle, potentially more, if I'm being honest. Uh, but we would have made minimal margin by charging sub 300 We selected the whiskey. We fell in love with it. Pricing finally came, and we had to say, you know what? It's too much. It's too much for a six-year-old for our single cast nation members. We're going to pass on this. They ended up bottling the single cask anyway. It came to the U.S. market. And again, I'm not going to mention any names. The wholesale price for this is $230, give or take. I've seen it on store shelves for $1,000, right? If a retailer is looking to make 25 to 30% margin, they have failed in that endeavor by charging $1,000 for this particular cask. Good grief. Good gracious. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks to Tim for, for the four questions. Um, I hope it's yeah. okay we got through two, as people listening to this can tell. Should we should we step up our pace? Should we go a little bit more scattershot in our responses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we have to. A Mr. Will Thompson. Yes, sir. Reached out to us via Facebook. Okay. The slash, yeah. The new podcast page or uh, a, no, a DM, not, not as the, the kids say. Not the group, yeah. Sort of a DM, not like a dungeon master. He slid into but your I, DMs. I think is the parlance of the young. I think that's yeah. Okay. What did <laughs> to use the parlance of our time? What did Mister Will Thompson have to say? So Mr. Will Thompson, who we know is a an avid wild turkey fan, by the way. Okay. He says, uh, did you and Jason, you're going to like this one. He <laughs> says, did you and Jason plan out the torture of your listeners when tasting the Orkney cask? Or was it improvised? 
<laughs> he goes on, he says, to hear such excitement and ecstasy only to oh. find out this oh. would be unattainable oh. for a humble Texan oh, such as myself. Oh. I'll have what she's had. The execution of this plot change was too, quote unquote, smooth to have been a mere. <laughs> I love the mere, fact that our listeners know exactly how to wind you up. Oh, I know. Years, um, uh, was the execution of this plot change too smooth to have been a mere unhappy accident? Touche, gents. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally he goes on to say, in all seriousness, I'm curious why you're choosing to take the Orkney cast to retail. I've been looking for um, an HP, uh, that's code for Highland Park, uh, independent bottling for a while and think it sounds more like a special project. <laughs> <laughs> and he gives us an example, mm-hmm. i.e. an upcoming Port Ellen. What? Yeah, we have an upcoming poor Ellen? <laughs> this is the first time I, hearing of this. I think he's making some, you know, grand assumptions that, that <laughs> I would like to rise. I would like to rise to that challenge. <laughs> you know. I would rather bottle Spring Bank before I bottle poor Ellen. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I thought you might be. So Spring Bank and Imperial, those are my two. And then and then finally he just says, Okay. Thanks for the great podcast. <laughs> Cheers, Will. Um, before we answer the second question there, the first question was, was the torture designed on purpose? No, no, it wasn't. That was just freewheeling. Did not mean to wind people up. And I'm glad our enthusiasm came across on that. But it was not our intention to almost do a head fake for people. Here comes a great Orkney. It's going into retail. So um, let me, I've got an email here that Will will be happy to hear that he is not alone. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> our good friend, friend of the podcast, James Foster, mm-hmm. sent in a little bit of what I'm calling whiskey fan fiction. And, and I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to tell you that the title is Damn, 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 Damn. Damn, damn. All caps, exclamation point after each damn. Okay? <laughs> okay, so get, get ready for this. We have, we have some fan fiction coming your way, Joshua. Yeah. It opens. So, the girl of your dreams finally agrees to go out with you for dinner and a movie. You pick her up, and she looks better than she ever has. On the drive to the restaurant... You chat and find out that she loves the same music as you. Her favorite book is your favorite book. At the restaurant, the special is your favorite dish in the whole world. Dessert is something totally new that puts all your memories of dessert to shame. (laughs) After dinner, the movie is stunning. Excellent script, fantastic acting, everything. You will never forget this movie. Okay, now, if anyone's got children listening, we're about to cross over into PG-13 territory. So just you decide what you're going to allow to run. She agrees to go back to your place afterwards. Hey, now. The two of you snuggle on the couch making out. It's everything you imagined and then some. Off comes the clothing. 
This is Fifty Shades of James Foster. Okay. <laughs> uh, Andrew, before you know it, you're past second base. And then her nude body is more than you ever imagined. She sits up on your lap, leans over, whispers in your ear, I'm saving myself for someone else. <laughs> Damn, 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 damn. Wow. As Jason knows, one of my favorite distilleries is the southernmost Viking distillery in Scotland. My introduction to it was the 20 or 21-year-old raw cask black adder bottling. Every independent bottling from this place has made it to the top of my memories. On your podcast, and he uses quotation marks here, just like our friend Will put smooth in quotation marks, <laughs> James Foster puts gentlemen in quotation marks. <laughs> On your podcast, gentlemen, I hear that you're selecting a cask from this very unicorn, selecting it, putting it in bottles, but saving it for someone else. I can't get your retail line. You are so cruel. Damn, 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 damn. Expect me to glare at you at the Jubilee in Seattle. In fact, assume I've already started. Yeah. <laughs> and then this, this is my favorite part. Yeah. Okay. With love, James. <laughs> Just when I thought it couldn't get any better. Perfect. <laughs> A great way to end it. So, um, so I, I think that Will and James are representative of a, a larger number of people who are, are really questioning our, our intentions. That's a good word that fits with James's fan fiction. Questioning mm -hmm. our intentions. Um, we, we did announce this was retail. We did, yes. We have listened to people. And one of the things that has always frustrated me is when I've seen larger companies make decisions that I don't agree with, and I've reached out only to, to find out that they really don't care, right? Mm. You know, requests fall on deaf ears. Uh, and I've always thought, you know, it's you and me running this. You, mm -hmm. you and I are, are, are in charge of the destination of the ship, and and we can change course at any moment. Yeah, you're like my Gilligan. <laughs> I, d I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> People in the U.S. are loving it. <laughs> um, so so we have reconsidered. We have we have taken the the concern trolling to heart. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Concerned trolling. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, we have. Continue, continue, please. And we have decided to release this as a special project. And, and this, this, in my opinion, is the difficult thing. So it will definitely be a special project. In fact, quite a special oh, yeah. project. Uh, the most special of special projects. It, oh, yeah. Yeah. This this falls. Yeah. I, I don't even know how to apply words <laughs> to what we're doing with this. <laughs> Which, but what I will say is, <laughs> what I will say, 
is all you need to worry yourself with right now is the fact that we've decided to bottle this Orkney, not for retail, but for our online store. So our special division, special projects store. And so special projects division to give it its proper name. Is that what That's it what is? SPD. 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 Yeah. SPD. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it will be available on our website and not on general retail stores. And the villagers doth rejoice. What's <laughs> and that? the villagers the doth rejoice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please watch this space. We're not going to say any more at this time because this is a brand spanking new uh, project that we're working on, uh, especially for the bottling of this cask. But there will be more information forthcoming and we're hoping... Uh, to get this out maybe in the spring, maybe in the early summer, uh, depending how fast we move through all the varying channels. So Exactly. You've you've trusted us this far, we've listened to you, and uh let's let's make everybody happy. Cool. All right. Moving on. Moving on. I've got an Instagram question. Can I go into that? Please do, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this one came from our Instagram friend Balancer. Mm-hmm. And it's actually two different questions. This is interesting. Okay, let's see if we can tackle them both. So he says, is bourbon naturally colored? When I compare them to single malt of a similar age, it seems to me that bourbons tend to have a deeper, rich color. I know that some distilleries do this in Scotland. So quick answer there. Uh, Bourbon has to be naturally colored. Caramel coloring is not allowed with bourbon. Uh, chill filtration is caramel coloring is not so that's one thing to keep in mind so the reason why it's a darker color is part of the laws around bourbon Uh, one of the main laws is that you have to use new charred american oak casks and so that new charred oak just lends itself for darker whiskey exactly yep question number two he says and this one is for both of you hey hey, who's the first one for I don't know. Yeah, he didn't, uh, I can see soon that I'm American. American. Uh, America. America. Fuck yeah. Scoobity dooby. Wait, I'm looking at your glass. Hold on. Can you put that glass up to your microphone? Really? Let me just. <laughs> is that, is that Kilhoman Saturn? It is Kilhoman Saturn. You're exactly oh correct. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Was it, was it the way I swirled it? It was. No, I saw the bottle. Uh, that is a special whiskey to have in your glass. That's that's why I chose it. That's my it f- is easily my favorite Kilhoman. Oh, interesting. Period. Oh, interesting. Yep. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's yep. easily my favorite of the wine releases. And I, I also like the Kilhoman port. Um, but this, yes, you do. As do I. This is my my favorite of the Kilhoman wine releases. No, I, I was telling somebody the other day, my favorite Kilhoman remains anticipation. The two-year spirit. The two-year-old, yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Okay, two-year aside, what's your favorite? Why, why would we put the two-year aside? I'm not not following. Because no one can get it. <laughs> I'm talking, if, if you were to claim a favorite. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to claim a favorite other than two-year-old anticipation. Okay, not sure why I have to, but okay. Um, I'm... 
you know, honestly, the Macro Bay. Yeah. Yep. Solid. It's, it's so just solid. right. It's it's you know predominantly bourbon cask. It's fresh. It's bright. It's smoky. It's warming. Yeah, it fills my soul, which is always a measure of an Isla whiskey for me. Does it fill my soul? Hmm. You don't see that in a lot of hundred point scales. Um, does it fill my soul? Yes, yes, it does. So yeah, I you know obviously there's plenty more that I like uh, that they've done well, but Macro Bay. Why? I'm trying to move around the Macro Bay to say something else. I'm just going to say Macro Bay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. okay. So yeah. So, question for both of us from Balancer. When not drinking whiskey, what? <laughs> How dare you, sir? How dare you? What ah. What is your second most go-to beverage? And oh, what type, for example, uh, if you say beer or wine? Oh, gosh. Um, it's definitely beer for me. Yeah. Um, I, I love beer after, after a, a day's selling or after a tasting or after a long drive, it's, it's beer. And then I transition into the, the whiskey from there. Um, huge fan of Goza's, um, you know, I, I really love that style. And uh, one of the things nobody knows about me on this podcast is that hops trigger my allergies. And so if I drink a very <laughs> bright, uh, IPA, it'll invariably close down my, my sinuses. Yeah. Um, and ultimately if I keep going lead to a, a migraine. So I avoid IPAs. And so a Goza gives me the, the brightness and the freshness, the crispness that I don't get from IPA. And then, uh, when it's not a Goza or a sour, it's stouts, porters, browns, all the darks, all the way, uh, nice, big, heavy, rich, toasty flavors. So I'm a beer mm-hmm. guy, no doubt about it. Nice. I am a tea guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, give it to the, alcohol. I'm a tea guy too. Give it to alcohol. No, 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 oh, no, no, Lord. no. I mean, yes, yes, of course. I, I Let me say this. I'm not a wine guy at all. I used to be. I like, uh, I like wine. Uh, I do don't find it very I don't find it interesting enough for me to get geeky about it. I find beer I can get somewhat geeky about, but I'm not passionate about it. I'm passionate about tea. I drink tea uh, sorry, I drink tea day in, day out, and it's always loose leaf. I drink that, I drink that always, how, how do you say his name? Tea? Tea? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I drink tea uh, all day and all night. That's, that's me. <laughs> I drink tea all day and all night. <laughs> Passionate about it. Uh, it's all loose leaf. It's all single garden stuff. And my, my mood changes from day to day. Sometimes I like... Just nice, rich vegetables, senchas, banchas, girkos, uh, Um And sometimes, like today, I went for uh, baijiguan, which is a wonderful, uh, really rich, kind of dense uh, oolong, which rich and dense and light at the same time shouldn't work. But with tea, it does. And uh, I'm very passionate about tea. So I'm always looking for new and interesting teas to to enjoy. And this has been One Nation Under Tea. 
email question from Mark LeBlanc. Thanks to Balancer for sending that in via Instagram. Yeah, cheers, appreciate man. It. Thanks. Mark LeBlanc writes, Hey guys, apologies if this is a duplicate. I sent the same question from my outdated mobile tech and have no idea if it actually got through. Spoiler alert, it did not. So thank you for resending. I've been binging your show and I love it. Thanks for the great content. You're very welcome, Mark. Thanks for the support. Yeah, thank you. My question has to do with bottling, sort of. Hmm. Can you get multiple vintages from the same cask or must you bottle it all at once? Could you, for instance, take 50 bottles from the cask, then set it back on the shelf for additional aging? At which point does cask fill level become a concern? 50%? A third? I'll eagerly await your answer. Thanks again. Cheers, Mark. And he, I believe, is an Instagram fella. He's Liberty and Whiskey. He's an Instagram fella. He's also a Facebook fella. And, might I say, a fellow Connecticutian who would pronounce Uh the word mittens as mittens. He would pronounce the word Connecticut as Connecticut. He would pronounce the word Nogatuck as Nogatuck. Okay, you nutcrackers. Um, I've so got some answers you, to this. Can you get multiple Vinci's from the same cask? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Next <right>. question. We, <laughs> 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 well, we, we've experienced this personally. And I'll give you the example of two different visits to the Caddenheads warehouse that we've had where there was a 96 cask of Glen Talkers. And when you go to the Caddenheads warehouse, you have the opportunity to taste directly from cask and bottle directly from cask. And Jason, your first visit, which was in September 2016, you had brought back a bottle of Glen Talkers for Close me, and, okay. My first visit was September 2014, but no, on. I'm talking about your most recent one in 2016 with our Google friends. Okay, but you this, said this is my, you were this, there. You this said is my you were there story. For, you said you first went there September no, of no, 20. No, roll, roll back the tape. What I said was, <laughs> what Jason, I sh- what I should when have said, you went there. No. In 2016, uh-huh. with your group, uh-huh. you had brought back some bottles of Glen Talkers. It's a 1996 cask. You brought back some bottles. And we had the luxury of going back to Caddenheads this past July, 2017. So almost a full year later. And taste again from that cla- cask of Glen Talkers. And I purchased another two bottles from it because it was that much different. So the interesting thing about that particular cask and other casks within their warehouse and other warehouses that allow you to purchase bottles directly from cask is that the whiskey does continue to age. And the lower the whiskey gets in that cask, the more wood contact it has. So... The bottling from 2016 is compared to the bottling from 2017 had much more of an oaky presence, vanilla, caramel, heavy coconut. Interestingly enough, it it 
it seemed to have increased the fruitiness to the Eklund talkers mm. as well. Where do you think the fill level starts to make a difference? Uh, my, my example, I'll pull it also from the Cadenes Warehouse, was I bottled my 1974 uh, Inch Murren. Oh, right. Yeah. And it was it was cracking and then they'd continue no. to have it yeah. in the cask. And then I'd gone back uh, many months later and they were still finishing it off and the, the wood had really imparted it. And um, I, you know, I think they said there was maybe something like 20 bottles left. And at 20 bottles, it was moving fast, 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 fast. Uh, yeah. And even, even at Cadenheads, once they get to a certain fill level, they'll just pull them out and put them in the shop as cask ends. Saves it getting yeah. overly wooded. So so where, where do you think the fill level starts to make a significant difference? Well, the problem with whiskey and cask in general is that while that whiskey is maturing in there, pure magic is happening. So you could throw all of the science that you want at it. You could throw all of the conjecture that you want at it, and none of it is going to add up. So I can't say I'm not. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to hazard a guess as to at what point will the whiskey start to get effective either positively or negatively with regards to its fill level within cask. All I will say is that as it starts to go down, just like naturally as it goes down and evaporates, that wood is that, I'm sorry, that whiskey is being affected in some way, shape or form. And what you're doing is you're extracting the whiskey from that cask. You are advancing how quickly that whiskey is going to mature. Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting question. Here, here's what I'll say, and, and it may not be answering it directly, but it answers it uh, indirectly, tangentially, what have you. And I take the example of our Westland Whiskey Jubilee bottling, where we, the first Westland Whiskey Jubilee bottling, we had a marriage of four different casks, mm-hmm. and we bottled that. And the remaining whiskey, same ratio, whether it's, you know, 25% this, 25% that cask, 25% that cask, and, and so on. We took that same ratio and and put it into a first fill ex-bourbon cask for nine months. And it's amazing what just nine months did in a single cask when you compare the two whiskey the two Westland Whiskey Jubilee bottlings, it's amazing what that wood does to whiskey in less than a year. Yeah, and it's... So what it... Yeah, no, right? and just so fantastic following that it, journey as well. Right? And, and so what it does when you fill the cask in less than a year as compared to what that cask will do to, if, say, it were filled halfway, I can only imagine it's going to be fast forwarding the maturation rate exponentially yep. yep no spot on cool do you have more from the social medias i think i do i think i may have one more you know what i don't i don't that, that, did we get through everybody on the social medias all the hold on the i did have one more question actually i I'd, I'd received this question via text <laughs> is it what do you want for dinner <laughs> uh, what to say I told my wife I would respond on the February 14 podcast she is still waiting to hear so fuck them battle hill no 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 um sleep well oh, that's not that 
Matchstick. <laughs> Sleep in Zivo. Frederick Karen, Cadenheads. Jeez Louise. No. Fuck them. No. Was it a text to you? It was John John K. I, I think the question got lost when I had to replace mm. my phone. So Mm. Okay. So to answer Damn. your question, Jason, I don't have any more social media ones. It's it's interesting. The people who've reached out to us seem to have clung to the more traditional way of reaching out, which is by email. So can I actually can I can I read the next email one? Um depends. <laughs> Who's it? Jason, we received one from Nicholas Nastasi. Uh-huh. And I wanted to go over that really quickly. I'd love to. Okay, so Nicholas says, hello, Joshua and Jason. Close to the right order. Oh my gosh, such a perfect opener. He (laughs) says, love the podcast. Thank you, Nicholas. I'm going to tell you right now, for everyone that listens to this, I guarantee you in future, people are going to start addressing us as, hi, J&J. I think that's going to be the safest way to go. No, I think they understand what the proper order is and they need to follow that order. Clearly, you would go alphabetized, right? You would go J-A before J-O, clearly. Are you reading left to right or right to left? (laughs) So he says, I have a question for your upcoming mailbag episode, and here it is. It says, during the two episodes where you let us in on your cast selection tasting process, you did not mention trying whiskeys with water. Mm-hmm. Wondering if you do indeed try these samples with or without water. He goes on to say, and so that's the question. He's wondering if we do that. And he goes on to say, I find that many cast strength whiskeys, especially single cask independent bottlings, really change with the addition of water in many instances for the better. Keep up the great work. Best regards, Nick Nastasi. Well, thank you, Nick. That was a very good question. Yeah, it's and I, honestly, you I tackle this. Go honestly, ahead. I think is an easy answer for us when selecting a single cast to go into bottle. We need it to be a success as it is poured from the bottle, and for us, that means without the addition of water. Mm-hmm. As the consumer then explores the tasting and drinking of said bottle, yeah, it'll do different things with water. Um, it's it's always well worth playing around with the addition of water to see what it does to any given single cask. Sure. I have found single casks that completely fall apart with the addition of water, but the good news is it was bottled without any. And so that was one experiment. I learned a lot. I didn't have to add any water again. Uh, conversely, yeah, there are single casts that a drop or two of water just delivers it so perfectly unto thy palate. However, right, everybody's palate is different. Truth be told. And so that's why for us it needs to be strong without the addition of water. And then consumers can play around for their individual, specific, particular palate. Yeah. The last thing that we want to say is, go ahead, open this bottle. Wait, don't drink it yet. It's really good when you add the water in. (laughs) Right? No. We want it to be good out the gate. Now, good out the gate when it comes to us drinking it and you drinking it, 
if you are not uh, well versed in cask strength whiskeys, it could be it could be a different experience. However, typically speaking, when we when we select whiskey, it is with that more well-versed consumer in mind who may be used to cast-strength scotch whiskeys, cast-strength bourbons, etc., and their palate has been destroyed enough <laughs> where they can appreciate the, the high-octane stuff. And, and the other thing that we focus on, too, and, and this is key, and this is something that we really pay attention to, is we we try to put ourselves in the shoes of the consumer by doing a mouthfeel test, by doing a nose test, is it burning your nose when you when you smell the whiskey? If it is, the alcohol is too much, right? It, it's part of that three-step tasting process where nose palate to finish does it work. For the nose to work, it has to be pleasant without us having to add water, uh, without us having to blow air into the glass to dissipate the alcohol. It has to be just pleasant to nose it. And then from a palate standpoint, it has to have enough oil to help, enough oil within the liquid itself to counteract some of that high alcohol that's in there. We don't want a thin spirit. We want a rich mouthfeel with some good oils in there that if you're tasting a little heat, well, think about it again. Is that spice or is that alcohol, right? So we want to create that single cask experience that becomes big, rich, inviting without being hot and alcohol-y, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to add to our response to Nick's question here, we have had casks where sampling them raw as it were just just straight up they've maybe been a little bit tight or they've maybe hit a little bit of um a bit of that alcohol prickle right mm -hmm. some of those aspects mm -hmm. to it um we've added a couple of drops of water and it's turned into something remarkable and we've had to reject the cask uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Good point. And the, the question has been: Well, why, why did we? Why did we add the water? Oftentimes, it's curiosity. Um, you know, this seems like it's on the edge of something good, and then you you see if you can make that work in some way. But yeah, we we would never dilute to go into bottle, and we would never, as you rightly started this answer, we would never bottle something that says, as soon as you put that in your glass, add two drops of water. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. Um, it has come out of the bottle. Right. Well, are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Yes. Really? No. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? No, we are not. Are we there yet? No. no. Are we there are we yet? There yet? Hey, that's hey, not that's funny. funny. Hey, that's really huh. immature. That's really immature. See, this is why See, nobody this is why like no one ogres. likes ogres. All right, you're All lost. right, you're lost. I'm going to just stop talking. Finally. So, Joshua, I don't know if you've noticed. Oh, it sounds it, it, it sounds like we're uh, there's a bit of a segue there. It sounds like uh, we had to put hit pause on a recording. Yes, Jason. <laughs> oh, you're not driving anywhere today. I don't know. So we have many more 
Can you hear that? I can. What the fuck's happening? <laughs> Just the airplane going into the small regional airport next to us. Do we have only room for two more questions? I don't think we're running real tight because we got an hour and 43 on this and we got however long. Oh, we yeah, it's going to be a two that. hour episode. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, thanks to Nick for that question. Yeah, cheers, man. Thank you. Appreciate him taking the time to write in. We have more questions left than we possibly have time to cover. But I wanted to give Liz, Katie, uh, our last shout out here. And Liz... One of our last shout outs, yeah. <laughs> okay. That has to be our last. Go ahead. Yep, go on. Liz uh, sends in five questions. And we're not going to get through all five. Um, so I'm I'm going to select a couple here. There is one that says, uh, this is a bit of a Joshua question. So I'll, I'll put hmm. this over to you here. Uh, once you import uh, liquor, do you cultivate distributor relationships? Or is that something your customers line up and then tell you who to send the liquor to? That's interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a nice kind of wrinkle. It also speaks back to one of the earlier questions when we were asked about the difference between retail and, and online bottlings. In the end, it is on either us or our importer. And sometimes the importer is us. Uh, actually, in this case, it, it is us. Uh, it is on us to cultivate all relationships and to handhold that bottle from importation down to distribution, down to sitting on a retail shelf, sitting on a, a, the back of a bar. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing about the the U.S. three tiered system that where that whiskey or spirit or wine or beer or what have you has to go through importer slash producer to distributor to retailer slash bar slash restaurant, where it's either where it tends to be on either the importer or the producer to make sure that that whiskey gets to the right place to be picked up by the consumer. And then even then, it is quite often on us to bring in those consumers so they know where to get our stuff, so we can be there while they taste it before they buy it. It's, it's hand-holding all the way down. All the way down. That's not to say our distributors don't do anything. They definitely do a lot. But this is our brand, and we know our brand, and we are in control of our brand, and we import our brand, and we bottle our brand. Meanwhile, our distributors have a massive book in which they also need to sell tequila, mezcal, wine, goza, you know, you name it. They're selling tons of other items where whiskey isn't a whiskey at that point it's a skew and they have to sell skews and it's right yeah. and it's it's us that sort of keeps that passion within it and 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 make sure that that everything is done properly and to our liking yeah i was i was gonna add another little Ooh. wrinkle that i've been observing Ooh. in um in traveling around with distributors i never knew as a consumer um let me back it up. Ooh. So look at you, <laughs> look at you, Mister Hatton, Johnson yelling Hatton. Uh, I, I don't need more hyphens. I've got enough trouble with the one I've got. Um, so I always <laughs> thought, as a consumer, mm -hmm. that 
if one were to open a retail store, they would um, every week or so write down a, an order and that order would go off to the distributor. And it's been interesting in traveling around with distributors now that a salesperson will come in once a week and look over the shelves and say, here's what you've sold from, you know, the, the list of things that we sell you. Mm. Um, and, and the distributor's salesperson will put together a list of refill products to refill the shelves and will put the final version of that in front of the retail, either store manager or store owner or what have you. Um, that was really, or that has been really interesting to see and to think when I go into a store and I, you know, I pick up a Colhoman or I pick up an Ardbeg, there's a chance that a distributor will come through within a few days, see that I have taken that bottle, maybe other people have taken bottles as well, and say to the retail store manager or owner, here, there's there's something to be restocked on your shelves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to extend that even further, there, there are even some retailers that rely heavily on their distributors to help them reset their shelves mm -hmm. to help them design what is going to be on that shelves where on those shelves where it's going to be placed on those shelves etc because the retailer is sometimes doesn't even know or sometimes maybe has multiple stores that they have to manage and they rely on the distributor to help in that and it's it, it's really interesting a lot of the stuff behind the curtain that the consumer never sees. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating seeing it from, from this side. Okay. Um, and then one, one final question to get us out here. And I think it's a, it's a good one to finish on. Cause it's also asking about the future. Given single cask nations, relatively recent branch out into rum. Are there other spirits you have your eye on? I think I remember that you waited to bottle a rum until you had your brand thoroughly established. So now that you do, and thanks for that kind word, Liz, where do you want to go? Are there other cask spirits you find particularly exciting? Is there a sherry in our future? Hmm. Okay, I realize this question isn't about whiskey, but I'm curious. <laughs> Uh, I look forward That's to hearing the answers to any or all of these. Cheers, Liz. Cheers to you, Liz. Thanks for all the support. Yeah, cheers. Thank you so much. Good friendship. Yeah. I'll have the pleasure of Liz and Natalie's company uh, as we travel around Scotland in May. Right. And I'll get to see them in March at Whiskey yeah. Jubilee, Seattle. Yeah, terrific. Mm -hmm. So the future of non-whiskey casks in single cast nation. Hmm. You know, we we started this off when when we came up with the name Single Cast Nation. After we said, "Ooh, that's a good name. Let's use that." We realized some of the benefits, and one of the benefits was Single Cast Nation. The word whiskey doesn't doesn't come anywhere near that statement, right? Correct. And so it allowed us to say, "Should we in the future, like with our rum?" 
be able to bottle something else. It gives us the freedom to bottle it so long as it's from a single cask. And we've already kind of broken out of that shell by doing our, <laughs> our double cask nation Krigalaki. Yep. yep. But it's interesting. So her question is, is there other stuff that you want to bottle that's sitting in cask that you're passionate about? And I have an example, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I want to see if there's anything that you have that maybe we haven't talked about before. And, and so the one example that I will say here, Liz, is that Jason and I last year, no, in 2016, <laughs> sent a a wild turkey cask. So after our first wild turkey whiskey jubilee bottling, we took that cask, we sent it down to Mexico to Del Amigo Distillery, who produces mezcal for Fidencio. And we filled our wild turkey cask with Espadine mezcal. So Espadine is a type of um, agave, and it's it's the typical agave used for mezcal. Um, and we had that mezcal sitting in that cask for about nine months before it was bottled. The stuff is still in Mexico, by the way. Sadly, uh, mes- Sadly, no, I know mezcal is a is a passion of mine. And Jason is coming around to it, especially when it comes to this bottling, right? Because I know you love this bottling. I love, love, love this bottling. Yeah, my my little quip surrounding mezcal is that somebody puts a, a glass of it under my nose, and I just think it smells like hangover. So, yeah. But well, this doesn't. But I'm learning. Um, yeah, well, so, I'm, I'm excited to get that one to the U.S. eventually. It is sitting in glass. It's sitting in glass as we speak. So so there is that mezcal. Jason, is there another type of spirit that you would that you're passionate about that you would want to bottle? So the truth of the matter for me is I have always been a whiskey spirit guy. That's yeah. that's yeah. where my passion and my love um has lain. Not sure if lane's a word. Um, <laughs> and so Scotch, first and foremost, uh, American bourbons and rye, certainly been getting into them over the last five or six years. But I will say, I have been very pleasantly surprised. I'm so afraid where this is going. Go on. By our recent forays into rum. Okay, okay. Good. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I have literally no idea where you thought I was taking that. I thought you were going to go with gin. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I like a gin. I have no interest in bottling a gin. Zero. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Um, likewise. Yeah, people, we talked in Scotland about uh, the gins, and I, I really feel that the gin kind of had its big moment, kind of blew up, and I already think people are losing you know interest in the gin boom um well yeah i mean it becomes this thing even at, even cascaged it becomes this thing that isn't really sipping yeah. it tends to go in a cocktail and we typically aren't spending a lot of money and time by bottling you know stuff that needs to go into a cocktail no, no i would but what i was going to say is um Sorry. The recent foray into rum, 
I have I have mm. really taken an interest there. Where <laughs> again, like a lot of people growing up a, a brown spirits whiskey guy, I really thought rum was Malibu, right? It was it was coconut and it went with fresh orange juice, which just sounds horrible. Um or it was spiced and it was it was <laughs> Captain Morgan's, right? Yeah. And, and, and it went with yeah. coke and and really exploring distilleries and regions i i think it's very interesting even you know to have ones that that remind me of whiskies that are nice and deep and complex and rich and then ones that are very much the nail polish remover or fresh diesel fire um it's remarkable to me that they all come under rum, but they're doing remarkably different yeah. things. Um, I will say, and yeah. and I think I'm on a bit of an island here, uh, given where the rum world is going, mm-hmm. but I, I've still to find a Caroni that I like. Uh, Caroni has too much of that burning tire, um, smells like hangover kind of quality to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, for for those that may not know who Caroni is, uh, if you know of Port Ellen, and I know a lot of our Scotch whiskey drinkers would heard of Port Ellen, and I'm sure a lot of our bourbon drinkers will have as well. You know, Port Ellen is this closed, shuttered distillery in on Isla uh, that is perhaps one of the most sought after whiskeys, scotch whiskeys in the world. And when it comes to rum, Caroni is is called the Port Ellen of the rum world because it's Caroni was a distillery uh that's that's been shuttered just like Port Ellen and it's smoky. However, I'm with you, Jason. I mean it's 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 like a it's like a tire fire in a glass and it's just typically not my thing. However, uh, there was a 19-year-old bottled by David Sturk under the exclusive rums range that I thought was fantastic. And only because the tire fire was a small part and parcel to that massive bourbon cask influence. And it was this, just this sweeter experience with a little bit of that uh, plasticine <laughs> burning tire kind of thing going on. And, and it was quite nice. Yeah, I'm... I'm with you. You know, I think rums are are something to be explored because you've got your your different base, whether it's cane sugar or molasses. You've got your different stills, column still, pot still, etc. And you've you've got a plethora of cask types, cognac, bourbon, sherry, etc. And when it comes to the single cask cast strength stuff, you can get beyond your typical, hey, this is a 12-year-old Solera rum where potentially a lot of it's a lot younger. You know, you're dealing with actual age statements and, and an actual story there that's more approachable from a whiskey drinker's standpoint that I that I appreciate. And is it as complex as Scotch whiskey? I think in some cases it it is. It can be. Um, it can be. And, and I... And I like that. We don't have any in the pipeline. Do you foresee a sherry in our future? I would absolutely love to do a sherry. I would love to do sherry. And so just a a shout out to our kosher keeping friends out there. Should we ever do a sherry, don't expect to see a kosher certified sherry in our future. But if you want to delve into 
good PX, good Oloroso. There is a potential for that. We've been offered sherry before. <laughs> We've just never <laughs> branched out into that. I'm a sherry, you know, uh, I think it was, was it Balancer who had asked the question, what are you drinking when it isn't whiskey? Uh, I'm drinking tea. I'm drinking sherry. I'm definitely drinking beer. Uh, but sherry is a passion of mine. There you go. Maybe there'll be a sherry. Watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. So we received far more Way questions more. than we were able to touch. And and so much so that I know this episode is going to be longer than others. But I thank everybody for listening. <laughs> that's um, always the thing to put at the end. You know, G- <laughs> Jason, given the popularity of the mailbag episode, you know, I know in the past we had discussed, let's yeah. do this yearly. So here we are one year in and we've gotten far more questions than we're able to answer. So we may want to do this on a slightly more regular basis. Well, we, we also need to do a better job of getting back to the episode question. Uh, we kind of let that slip a little bit as we were building up to this episode. So, so I, I think we've got some, um, s- some source material. I think we've got, Use I think your we've words. Got good, Use I think your we've words. Got, trying. <laughs> oh, wow. When you are at loss for proper words, Mr. I have a degree in I English and to philosophy. Think, I was just trying to think how I got into this mess and could I undo the mess that got me to this point. Um, That's what she said. We definitely yeah. have enough questions that if we were to refocus on our episode questions, we uh, we'd get some people... Um, involved who we couldn't involve today. And I do apologize if you took the time to reach out and we didn't get to you. We do appreciate you reaching out and uh, sorry we couldn't get to it. Yeah, and actually what what we'll do, and I'm going to speak for both Jason and myself. Well, I'm going, obviously I'm speaking for myself, but I'm also speaking for Jason, is that for those questions that were left over, we'll try to incorporate them That's in future episodes said. of the podcast. That's what I just said. Is that what you said? That's exactly that what, what I you just, just said. said. It didn't sound like that. And now Jason ends up on the cutting room floor and Joshua gets to say, well, we will use your questions going forward. <laughs> I've got your back. <laughs> it didn't sound like you had said those questions that came in that we couldn't get to, we will incorporate in other episodes. It just sounded as it sounded as if you said, "We will just try to do better next time." <laughs> oh Lord! Okay. Oh my. Lord. Oh, Jason. So, for those of you that have um, felt a bit of an inspiration after having listened to this episode, and you want to reach out to us. Please do so. There is a multitude, dare I say, a plethora of ways to get in touch with us. First and foremost, you can email us questions at one nation under whiskey.com. You can Instagram us like our good friend Balancer did, and that our Instagram handle is at one nation under whiskey.com. You could tweet at us like Natalie has, and we are at one nation whiskey. And there are two other ways. Both of them are Facebook related. The first one, facebook.com slash one nation under whiskey. That is our page page. And you can send us a direct message there, or post on our wall there if you have a question. But we also created a Facebook group 
called One Nation Under Whiskey. And so just do a search for that group. Ask to be a part of it. We'll immediately approve you. And start any conversation there. And, and you could post questions there. We may be able to answer them right there. Or we could potentially... Um, uh, bring them up in this podcast. Yeah. Love the fact that people are reaching out to us. Love the fact we're building a community here and love the fact that we had more questions than we could possibly get through in our first mailbag episode. Yeah. I meant to ask you, Jason, other than the Scapa and the Kilhoman, did you have another whiskey that you, that you poured and enjoyed? Uh, yeah, but I already named it. It's the upcoming Whiskey Jubilee Seattle release. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I had two others that I didn't mention. Okay. Do you want to know what they are? Of course. So the first one, this is the Lagavulin Distillery Only bottling. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, for 2017. It's quite delicious. And And I've got to say, the more I think about it, I have three favorite distilleries. Okay. So you know what my first favorite is, right? Yes. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Imperial. That's my second favorite. All right. First favorite, Kilholman. They are in the top five, no doubt about it. Lagavulin. God, you're terrible at this game. So Springbank is my number one distillery. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) It's all coming back now. Imperial is number two. However, they really shouldn't be part of the overall uh, list because they're they're closed, right? They're not still producing. But I'd call them number two, but they're number two um, A. You're so Uh, wasted. I'm not wasted. Jason, I feel great. If I were drunk... Regular listeners would know. I would tell you that I'm drunk, but I'm not. You're on your I'm way just to that happy state. to be recording with you. <laughs> <laughs> so my second favorite distillery, Imperial Side, is tied with. How should I say? I maybe I'm drunk. <laughs> the fact you're going to do this long exposition at the end of a two-hour episode. Like, nobody needs this right now. And you're like, no, 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 no. One more thing. No, 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 no. No, we'll we'll leave. We'll leave. Call the cab. We'll leave. One more thing. Let me, okay, back it up. Back it up. No, no, no. I'm coming. I'm coming. Let me, I got to say this. Just wait. Okay, where was it? Number three. So this is what I have to say. I have, in recent years, put Lagavulin as my number two whiskey not because of their 16 year old not because of their eight year old but it's their special did you eat breakfast i did and it's smoothie we just identified the problem okay there's (laughs) nothing in your stomach Uh, i feel (laughs) i had rice pudding (laughs) i had a grape Yeah, I think I think that Lag Volan just has a solid spirit, regardless of the release that it's in. From release to release to release, it's just solid. And I find myself reaching for it more often than not. And so I want to put Lag Volan in my number two. It's tied pretty damn closely with Kilhoman. 
it's tough. Those two are neck and neck. I think they would do really great in a boxing match. <laughs> I love Kilhoman so goddamn much. It's tough. Who's number three, Joshua? I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah, I thought you might be. <laughs> uh, number three. Yeah. If I were to put a name on <laughs> number three. As opposed to drawing a picture or doing an interpretive dance. Yes, go with the name. I want to know who you think my number three is. <laughs> Clinlish. No, but I'd say, I, I appreciate where you're going with that, but the answer is no. And there's a reason why I appreciate where you're going with that. Have we started recording a new episode? Is that what's happening now? <laughs> um, well, number three. You'd never guess it. Really? Uh, maybe you would. Are we back on the mainland yeah. of Scotland? Well, let, 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 yes, we're back on the mainland of Scotland. Let's just say... There are people who are Klein Leash fanatics, mm-hmm. just like there are people of this, dis- you know, it, it, it's a cult whiskey and those that are fanatics are fanatics. Ben Riach. Mm. No. Glendronach. No. You're getting close with it. There you go. Glenn Farkless. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone's got a soft spot for Glenn Farkless. It's just solid through and through every release. Yeah. There's just no yeah. doubt about it. Yep. Solid dram, solid wood policy, solid consistency. Add to that. Solid pricing, family owned. George is fantastic. We, and that's in those last two, right? Yeah. Family yep. owned, independent, good people, good pricing, yep. sherry cast matured. I just think it ticks a lot of boxes. I just really it does. Yeah. So you know, whether it's Springbank, Lagavulin, Kilhoman, Glen Farkless, Imperial, these are ones that I reach out for more often than not. And that's just in my first four or five, right? We can go Drinks on. In the morning. We can go on, but Jason, this this episode has to end, and you seem to be just dragging it on. <laughs> Dragging your heels. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on this. Go ahead. Thanks for listening. Yes. Thanks for the questions. Yes. Thanks for your participation in answering the questions with me, Joshua. Oh, it's a pleasure. We'll meet everybody in season two. In season two, so yes, season two. This is episode twenty seven, so season two will say season two, episode one. Just so everybody knows. On that note, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>